The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. We've got them back together at last after Cal Thomas was gallivanting around the world. He's back in the United States. He rejoins Marion McKeown this evening. But let's start, Cal, with an exceptionally difficult case, a dreadful case, that the Memphis police who killed Tyron Nichols, a young black man, last weekend. What's your interpretation of what happened here, Cal? Well, Mike, first... Uh or Matt, uh, first, it's uh, great to be back again. I've, I really missed you guys. I think this is a uh, horrible, horrible incident. I wrote a column about it <clears throat> in my newspapers today. Uh, some have tried to make a uh, racial issue out of this, despite the fact that all the police officers and the victim himself were black. Uh, the city is a majority black, uh, 64%, I believe. All of the elected officials, with the exception of the mayor, are black. So that's kind of gone off the table. I think what you have here is a continuing problem of poor policing, and that is brought about by the way the police have been treated by various activist groups that have called them names, that have attacked them. Uh, the people with their uh, iPhone cameras there who are second-guessing what the police should be doing and filming it and showing only parts of the film and not what uh, preceded what they showed. Now, there is, from what I've seen, there's absolutely no justification for what happened to this young man. Uh, he was supposedly, according to the police, engaged in reckless driving, but that doesn't uh, qualify as a death sentence at the hands of the police. I think it was a terrible thing, but I think you need new police training, and uh, we've got a lot of police officers in this country in many cities and states that are leaving the force because they're afraid. Uh, not only uh, they have been tied down by various restrictions and low pay, but uh, they're afraid of what people are going to see about them. And they put their lives on the line every day. But, Cal, could it not be that actually the power goes to the heads of some of those who don uniforms and that they think they're a law unto themselves, that they are somehow above the law and that they can meet out summary justice and that rather than being sympathetic for the fact that some people might take videos of them of what they're doing, we should be more concerned with their breaking of the law? Well, here's the thing, Matt. Uh, the criminals have no restrictions on their behavior. Uh, they don't say, well, <clears throat> let's see, I'm going to break into this place, and I'm going to leave the antiques, and I'm going to uh, just uh, leave them as they are, and then I'm going to attack somebody with a hammer like Paul Pelosi. Uh, they're not thinking to themselves, you know, a hammer might be really injurious to him, so maybe I'll just use a stick instead, or maybe I'll use a broom. They don't think like that. They are there to destroy to uh, harm and to break things, uh, whereas the police are trying to restore order. Now, yes, there are bad police. There are bad criminals. Most criminals, I would say, are, are defined as bad. But uh, I, I, the statistics show, Matt, that people are not entering the police force. The academies are down in terms of numbers and that many are quitting in many states and not just big cities, but smaller cities around the country because they can't take this anymore. Marion McKeown, what do you make of all that? Well, well, first of all, Cal, I missed you terribly, and welcome back, you jet setter, you. Uh, now, having said that, I would like to take issue with a couple of things that you've said. 
firstly, if policemen can't take being called names, you know what? Get out of the police force, really, if they're that sensitive. That's just in relation to the first point you made. Secondly, in relation to public videos of the police doing things that they shouldn't be doing, if it weren't for that incredibly brave teenage girl who stood for 10 minutes and filmed the police's slow torturous murder of Derek Chauvin the public wouldn't have been made aware of it. The, you know, if the police are going to behave in ways like Derek Chauvin and his cohorts thank God there are members of the public who have the courage to stand there and document it and hold them to account. So you know, I, the, the, the fact that the police don't like videos being taken, well boo-hoo, I'm sorry, what's the problem? They haven't got their makeup on. If they're not doing anything wrong it should not be a problem. Now, you know, I, I think I really appreciate what you said about distinguishing Tyre Nichols and, and the fact that he's not a criminal, but I did get somewhat confused by what you were saying. Um, if you look at the statistics, last year almost 1,200 people were killed by the police. Fewer than one-third of those were involved in violent crimes. To me, the problem with this is way more complicated than just race, than just white police officers brutalizing black men, although that is overwhelmingly the case. In this, as you said, it was, except for one police white officer who has now been suspended, apparently, he was the guy who first tasered um, Tyron Nichols. Uh, but ap- apart from him, they were all black officers. And as you said, Memphis is a mostly black city. But the problem, as I think it is, is that... Look, these, these elite units are formed in all kinds of cities, in Atlanta, in Baltimore, in, in cities with high crime problems, and they call the police these elite forces. They have macho names like Scorpion or whatever. They go around in plain clothes and unmarked cars a lot of them. These ones were in uniform, but they were in unmarked cars, and they think that they are literally a law unto themselves. They're, they're told, okay, you get out there, you stop this street crime, you crack down, and they do it as they see fit. And it's happened over and over again that they think that they're somehow these, they, they behave and they think like a militia. They're on a war footing. Now, just to, to re, um, recap with, with Harry Nichols, this 29-year-old guy, young man, never in trouble in his life. He was a skateboarder, an amateur photographer. He was going home to dinner in his mother's house um, and the police pulled him over. They, we saw from the footage, he was the one trying to calm the situation. He was saying, okay, guys, I'm on the ground. I'm on the ground. Um, you know, and, and this is, it's like, he never escalated. He was tasered anyway by the white officer who's now been suspended. Then he ran away. His mother's house was 80 yards down the road. Obviously, understandably, he wants to get there to be safe. And then they came upon and they beat him in a way that we've all seen it. It was so appalling. And then even worse, when the medics arrived and the fire, they did nothing for 16 minutes. This man was dying in front of them um, and, and they did nothing. And the whole thing, you know, it, it, it's just, it's so appalling. But it is down to police training. And, you know, also, Cal, if, if police are entering the force in fewer numbers, maybe they're the police who shouldn't be entering in the first place. Maybe they are being put off by the fact that they're going to be subjected to more scrutiny and that now, you know, for the first time, really, that they can be charged with murder for, for um, brutalising people on the street who have done nothing wrong. Because remember, in a lot of these cases, the people aren't armed, they weren't drunk, they weren't high, there was nothing. They were ordinary civilians going about their business, and they are overwhelmingly more likely, if they are black or Hispanic, they're much more likely to be pulled over, and they're much more likely to end up dead than white people. So there is still an element of racism in it. Cal? 
Well, I'd like to respond a little bit from the very well-respected Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, which was using CDC statistics. They found that uh, in 2020, the latest uh, year for which figures are available, uh, gun-related homicides disproportionately impacted black people more than their white counterparts, especially black teens, males. Young black males represent 2% of the total U.S. population, but accounted for approximately 38% of all gun homicide deaths in 2020. And black children and teens face alarmingly high rates of gun victimization. Now, we, we need to look at the people who are the victims of this. Uh, a, a lot of people in minority and poor communities want more policing and better policing because they are so often the victims of these criminals who come into the neighborhoods. We're putting this Memphis case aside as a separate issue because that was clearly, to me anyway, an immoral and an evil act. And, and these guys need to be uh, punished to the full extent of the law. But I, I think that when you go into minority communities, and I've been into, into many of them as a reporter and as a uh, columnist, you hear people saying, we want more protection. We don't want to be eating dinner at our table and have a bullet come through the window and strike one of our children, as happens in Chicago and some other cities. So I think there are two sides to this argument, and we, we just can't make a broad brush painting of everybody. Let's move to other things. Marion. Tell us about the return of uh, the Stormy Daniels story and uh, the trouble that might cause Donald Trump. Yeah, well, you know, you uh, um, you wonder what actually can cause Donald Trump trouble at this stage. He's facing potentially three different criminal investigations. Last time I counted, but uh, yeah, the the um, the Attorney General, uh, I think, part the District Attorney from Manhattan, um, Alvin Bragg. Uh, it, it has made this decision, which is kind of curious at this stage. Now, we all remember when uh, Michael Cohen was tried and sent to prison because he facilitated the payment of, I think it was $130,000 to Stormy Daniels. He paid it on Trump's behalf. And Trump eventually, according to Michael Cohen, after a lot of nudging and pleading, paid him back. And then there was also the case of Karen McDougall, who had a hush money payment facilitated by the uh, National Enquirer, by the owner of the National Enquirer, David Pecker. And the reason for that was to basically catch and kill her story, to buy it from her and then bury it, so that Trump's chances of becoming president wouldn't be damaged by those scandals. Now, um, in the, and I'm sure you remember as well, uh, Trump was listed in the Michael Cohen indictment as un- individual A, unindicted co-conspirator. Now, he wasn't named, but everyone knew exactly who it was. And people did wonder, well, is he ever going to face any, any consequences for this? Now, I think the timing of this is curious. Alvin Bragg, a, a, a very brilliant prosecutor called Mark Pomeritz, resigned in disgust and very openly about it because he spent two years researching crime in the Trump organization, possible criminal um, and fraudulent activity. It was um, okayed by Cyrus Vance, and then Alvin Bragg shut it down. Now, Mark Pomerantz has a book coming out next week called The People vs. Donald Trump, in which he's apparently very scathing about um, Alvin Bragg and and claims that he was uh, intimidated by Trump. Uh, And so I suspect that the timing of this is to maybe preempt some of the content of the book. But there is a legitimate case there, certainly. And, you know, Michael Cohen has been in talking to, um, appearing before a grand jury. So has David Pecker. And we'll see where this goes. I mean, certainly Michael Cohen got three years in prison for it. There seems to be, um, you know, he was acting at Trump's behest. So as I say, we'll see where this one goes. I'd be more worried in a way about what's going to come out of Atlanta for Donald Trump in the next week or two. 
Okay, but talking about Donald Trump, Cal, I see he's decided to have a real go at Ron DeSantis, saying that if he runs for president in 2024, it would be a great act of disloyalty. <laughs> yeah, I wrote about that. He, that's the second time he's made that statement. Uh, the uh, the presidency and the privilege of running for the presidency are not copyrighted. They're not trademarked. Everybody gets a chance if they want. We have a slogan in the United States, anyone can grow up to be president. And unfortunately, that's proven out to be true in some cases. But uh, uh, I think that that's a completely arrogant uh, statement. You know that he fears uh, Ron DeSantis more than anybody else. Both the Washington Post and the New York Times have recently had negative stories, what they consider to be negative, but which the voters uh, who put these people in office consider to be positive when it, consider, when it concerns uh, what is being taught in our public schools and universities. So I think you're going to see more of this. Uh, Nikki Haley, the former uh, U.N. ambassador for the United States, uh, under the Trump administration, who left early. Mike Pompeo, the former Secretary of State, who I'm hoping to see this weekend. He's down here in Florida. I'm uh, going to talk to him about his uh, plans. And uh, all of these are kind of uh, starting to wait, uh, continuing to wait to see what Trump does, or more importantly, to see what the legal system does. I think his numbers are declining. I still don't think he's going to get the nomination. And if he does, I don't think he'll win the election. Oh, no, there are some suggestions, Marion, that his numbers are up in the polls. He's claiming it anyway. Well, he's claiming it. <laughs> I think what Donald Trump says about fact, as we have seen on at least thirty thousand occasions, are two entirely different things. You know, he had a couple. He had a, a um, smaller rally in New Hampshire this weekend. It was pretty lethargic. I thought. I I still think he can do it if he does the strategy of firing up his base, giving them as much red meat as they want on immigration, etc. And you have, you know, Pompeo and you have John Bolton, although I suspect very much he won't be the next president. I think we can say that without any difficulty. And Nikki Haley, DeSantis, all these people, they could easily split the vote and Donald Trump could sweep sweep past again like he did in 2016. So I wouldn't rule him out because you can never, unfortunately, rule Donald Trump out. Uh, but, you know, we, we'll see where all this goes. Um, I, I, I think the criminal activities and the criminal actions that are coming up, and uh, the, I suspect also the E. Jean Carroll defamation and civil case of sexual battery could damage him. But again, these things won't damage the 30% of people or won't impact the 30% of people who will vote for Trump regardless. And that's, I think, where the problem is. Thank you very much for being with us, Marion McKeown and Carl Thomas. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.